Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Material Girls. We're Freddie, Chantel, and Devin. And together, we're, we're Money Honeys. Let's be honest, y'all. If you have morals and dignity and go about getting your money in an ethical way, then buckle up because we are not in Kansas anymore. Today, we're getting a little dark because we're on this train to Emerald City, aka getting rich, and we cannot get caught by villains on our way. Yep, we're talking identity theft, fraud, scammers. Oh my. Ladies, mm-hmm. I want to jump right into a game this week. Okay. I'm going to explain the crime, and you're going to tell me which famous scammer committed it. It's called Con Man Call Out. No, that's a name. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Love this brand name. Yes. Okay, so I'm just going to do four. Okay. I'm going to read the crime. You're going to try and guess. And there's no, like, pool of names that I've given the ladies, so they're going to just have to figure out the name from their brains. <laughs> wow. I don't think I'm going to know any of <laughs> Okay. I'm just going to invent people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay so um, <clears throat> this information is sourced from ABC News, CNBC.com, and New York Times. Number one, this fraudster was convicted of larceny and credit card fraud in the early 90s. He was an infomercial host and wrote a couple of self-help books focusing on health and dieting one of which is titled The Weight Loss Cure, quote, they don't want you to know about. Oh, and remember those infomercials I just mentioned? Yes, he was advertising a product called Coral Calcium Supreme that he claimed could cure cancer. Uh, whoa. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I have zero guesses. <laughs> I'm going to say Dr. Atkins. Ooh, that's a good guess. Mm-hmm. That's a good guess. Actually, his name is Kevin Trudeau. Oh. He's just a guy. <laughs> he just, just made up some shit and yeah. was like related to I'm Justin Trudeau. You. Sorry. I did I did look that up. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. But yeah, his name is Kevin Trudeau. I feel like in general, a lot of the like big fraud schemes and scams that I was reading about really happened a lot in the 90s and Mm. like before. There's definitely stuff that happens, you know, today, but I feel like people really got their nails and the the scheming and scamming in the The 90s. The dot-com boom. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Do y'all remember in the 90s those books that were like, get rich quick? Yes. Schemes that you would buy and it came with like a DVD and everything? Yes. Yes. CD-ROM. And I feel like those probably made so much money. Like, I feel like we were kind of just buying whatever (laughs) and believing whatever back in those days. Okay, next one. This man spent 22 months in prison after stealing over $100 million in corporate theft. He worked on Wall Street and would buy large amounts of worthless stock, drive up the price, and would sell all his shares at once. A so-called pump and dump scheme. Leonardo DiCaprio portrayed this man in a film based on his life. What is this man's name? So like Wolf of Wolf Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. Well, yes. <laughs> His name is Mr. Wolf yes. of Wall Street. Well, who was it? It's I not like Ponzi scheme guy. I, heard, I, I didn't. You know, I haven't seen that movie. 
It's I saw it like so long ago. I love it. Actually, it's one of my favorite Leo movies. Yeah. Um, his name is Jordan Belfort. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I have heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was one. Yeah, very notorious. It's also just interesting that he only spent twenty two months in prison for that. Um, I know, but you know, yeah. he stole a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. in corporate theft and spent twenty two months. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a bad trade off. I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Legally. 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 Okay, this next one. Okay. This woman had a toll-free 800 number service that claimed to offer free psychic readings. The business racked up as much as $360 million from callers, according to the Federal Trade Commission. This company basically had a call center with, quote-unquote, psychic readers who read from a script and were trained to prolong the calls to maximize the cost. Readers who didn't keep... Readers who didn't keep customers on the phone long enough were terminated. <gasps> Miss Cleo. Yeah, that's the only one I yes. know. Miss Cleo. Yes. I was Ms. like, Cleo. I don't want it to be Miss Cleo. But it is. It was her. It is Miss Cleo. I remember her commercials so vividly. vividly. Yeah. They were everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. It was like, call me now for your free for your, psychic for your reading, free psychic. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Miss Cleo. I know. Not Miss Cleo. It what what is she up to now? Is she She passed. Oh, I was about to look her up. 53, young. Wow, very young. Yeah. So this final one is not necessarily a person. It's just Mm -hmm. more so like trivia and see if you can guess what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. By the end of the 1950s, quiz TV shows had become super prominent. There was a lot of game show content, y'all. So much so that many of the quiz shows started cutting corners and and contestants started calling out these game shows to the point where they ignited criminal investigations and every single quiz show went off the air. That is until 1963 when a game show was greenlit that would reassure audiences that the game wasn't rigged by giving contestants the answer first and requiring the contestant to respond with a question. What is Jeopardy? Jeopardy? Yes. What is Jeopardy? Wow. Yeah. So Jeopardy was born out of just trying to prove that game shows weren't rigged. Whoa. Cool. Yeah. That yeah. is a really great tidbit, Fred. Oh, thanks, guys. Wow. I remember uh, <laughs> it was back when I lived at home. It was in like elementary school or something. And there was like two weeks randomly where my mom was obsessed with having us rent the VHS from Blockbuster, this movie called Quiz Show. I don't know why what? she like someone must have just talked about it. And she was like, quiz show, quiz show, quiz show. <laughs> what is we got to watch it. It's basically about this guy who um, who went on a quiz show and like knew the answers before and stuff. And I don't remember if it was like he it, it, I don't remember if the show was in on it or not. I think the show was in on it because mm-hmm. it was like for ratings. Yeah. It'd be like, Oh, he's this, back another week. He's back another week. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, pretty insane. Speaking of fraud and scams and schemes and all of these things, Devin, have you ever been a victim of fraud or identity theft? Like, how did you handle it? I haven't been, thankfully, knock wood, haven't been a victim of identity theft, but I feel like I have definitely been frauded by men. I think men are a fraud. Mm. <laughs> as, a, um, as a general concept, uh-huh. are yeah. fraud. Men yeah. is fraud. Men yeah. is fraud. Um, so yeah, frauds of the heart, we'll call it. <laughs> we'll do a whole episode on that. Frauds oh, of the heart. Frauds of the heart. Frauds of the what about you, Shanti? Um, I haven't had identity theft, but I have had just like 
credit card fraud and and stuff like that. And I had a PayPal account one time that um, people were transferring money into it. So there was like ten thousand dollars that came through. <laughs> Not fraud in reverse. I- <laughs> Not like beneficial fraud. <laughs> Someone messed up in the fraud. So I withdrew it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and that's why I bought my house. Yes. Uh, wow. So yeah, I like called PayPal. I was like, hey, like this isn't me. And they're like, okay, your account was probably like being used by someone to like kind of like stash money and whatever. And I was like, that's so scary. I was like 24 years old. I was like, Mike, it's a PayPal. Um, and so I like closed that account. And then they they said, um, if they've hacked into this one, then they're going after your banks next. Ah. So definitely like check up on all your passwords and make sure you have unique passwords. And I, of course, didn't at the time. I was like 24 years old. Yeah. And so then that's when I started using um unique passwords for every single account I have. So like I don't have a single account that has a shared password. Mm-hmm. And they're Smart. all like randomized numbers, characters. Like there's no, there's no overlap. Share the app that you use for that. Is I use one password. Okay. Yep, we use one password, password at work. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I still go back to PassPack. Remember PassPack? PassPack! Standard. I still have my PassPack standard account. <laughs> I do. But yeah, I haven't thought about PassPack in so long. PassPack was the password managing system we used when we all worked at BuzzFeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very original, janky, but I love it. One. You know, I like it better than Okta. Oh, fuck yeah. Okta. Yeah. Uh, unless Okta's you're sponsoring like, us. I know. I think Okta's like way more secure. Probably, but, <laughs> but it just like is We're like, it's a pain. <laughs> um, I just I yeah. just remembered something. I thought I had a fraud, a, an activity of fraud on my account because I got an email from someone from a bank in Canada saying, thank you for setting up your bank account with me. Mm. And they listed my name as like Daryl or something. And I was like, what? So I called and spent like 45 minutes on the phone being like, I didn't open up this bank account. Why am I getting this email? Come to find out it's a Costco shared bank account card that the person at Costco just filled in the wrong email. So it wasn't fraud. It wasn't anything. It was just, I just got the wrong email. It was just randomly. like a letter off. Yeah, yeah. A letter off. Uh-huh. Wow. And I was like, whew. But I want 45 minutes of my life back. Yes. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry. It's actually Devin Lodel. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Frauds and. Yeah. Like Daryl. Fraud. Yeah. Men. It's all the same. Yeah. It's, it's all the same. same. It's all the yeah. same. It's How about all you, Fred? Oh, yeah. You- well, we know. Um, yeah, yeah. I mentioned it actually a few episodes ago, but I um and I I think like I've had small things happen in the past that mm-hmm. didn't really, you know, affect me as much, yeah. but yeah, the latest fraud situation that I've been a victim of had was very upsetting. Mm-hmm. They stole a lot of they just and I think it was so many different transactions to so many different places under different names. I think that it was because my information ended up on the dark web. Ugh. And so everyone had access to my information. Mm. So there's like old Navy credit card charges and all of these things. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't. Why do they always spend like $300 at Subway? You know, like yeah, why do they yes. go buff like, wild? It's always like Grubhub, Wild Wings, yeah. whatever. Cause and I, so quickly. Yeah, that's happened on my credit card a couple of times. But luckily I just. Those I'm, fraud protection Yeah, services. where I'm just like, hey, here's fraud. And they say, okay. Then they 
Get rid of it and send me a new card. I do appreciate those services. I don't appreciate the passive aggressive texts they send me when I'm actually <laughs> spending my own money. Yeah. <laughs> when they're like, hey, Dev, um, sorry to bother you. You're not spending $300 at Sephora, are you? Uh, yes. And they're like, you're like, oh, it's me. I, bitch, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being tempted to be like, no, it's yeah. not me. And then like, get it. <laughs> I haven't until you said this. <laughs> Wait, we're supposed to be like legally. legally. No, I mean they yeah, were, yeah. they would just know. But my mom, but yeah. my mom has been a victim of fraud, and it actually, I mean, it happened maybe like ten or fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely something that she still she doesn't shop online. Like mm. she will not. She's very very secure because it yeah. was upsetting, and I believe that they spent maybe like eight hundred dollars. On like a dating hotline. <gasps> it was like a dating hotline oh, in California, actually. No. And she was like, I don't even know what this is. And it was a yeah. whole thing and it really scarred her. So she like won't buy things online, oh. which I think it I'm like over it now. I'm like, Mom, come on. Poor Terry. <laughs> buy the thing on on online. She's like, No. <laughs> I don't trust it. My mom and dad will not use an ATM for that same reason. Really? I don't know where they heard this story. <laughs> that people were like, parents scam- have Facebook stories. Yeah. I don't know. Or do. 60 Minutes. Right. Those shows. Right. 20 yeah. on 20 or whatever the fuck. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, we have a lovely guest joining us. She's an award-winning author and is currently an assistant professor at South Dakota State University, where she conducts research on familial identity theft. Her name is Axton Betts Hamilton. She's thrown herself into this line of work because her identity was stolen as a child by someone very, very close to her and completely unexpected. We'll spend some time with Axton and find out the tea after After the the break. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. We're talking fraud and identity theft with Axton Betts Hamilton, who is an author and does research on familial identity theft and much more at South Dakota State University. Welcome to Money Honey's Axton. Hey, Axton. Yes. So you have a pretty compelling story and wrote a book about it, and it's called The Less People Know About Us, A Mystery of Betrayal, Family Secrets, and Stolen Identity. Okay, so please tell us your story and how you got into your line of work. Okay, well, my story at this point spans nearly 30 years. My identity was stolen back in 1993, but I didn't, and I was, you know, 11 years old at the time. What? So I didn't, I didn't know my identity had been stolen, mm. but I knew my parents' identities had been stolen at that time because that's what mom said had happened, that someone was stealing our mail. And of course, we had a mailbox out by the highway on you know on the road that we lived on out in the country and our mail was being stolen um you know bills weren't arriving uh, magazines weren't arriving even my own pen pal letters weren't arriving oh because back at that time we you know kids didn't text we actually had to handwrite letters and mail them <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, old school old school <laughs> um and 
Then I went to college and I got my first apartment my sophomore year and was so excited because I found an apartment that would allow cats. And I had two cats <laughs> back home. I was like, oh, I get to bring my kitties to college. So <laughs> I uh, called the electric company to establish service. Everything seemed to be going well. They told me the date and time that service would be switched over into my name. You know, all is well, right? We're getting closer to getting the kitties to, to college. Yeah. And uh, a few days later, they sent me a letter that more or less said, due to your poor credit score, uh, we're requesting a $100 deposit before turning on service. <gasps> and I thought, you know, I was 19. I thought it was because I didn't have oh, enough of a credit sure. score. Sure. And there was a number to call at the bottom of the letter to get a free copy of my credit report. And I called it out of curiosity because... I really didn't know what a credit report was, and I wanted to see this mystery, you know, report on me. It felt like a big mystery at the time. Yeah. And so I called, didn't think anything of it, didn't, you know, make any connection between my parents' identity theft and my identity, identity theft or probable identity theft at that time. And about six weeks later, this large manila envelope arrived in the mail from the credit reporting agency. And, it, you know, my mailbox um, at my apartment complex, it was on the side of the building. And so this big manila envelope sticking out of the top of it. Like, <laughs> Intriguing. I, <laughs> I thought, well, you know, credit reports must be really hard to read. They must come with a lot of instructions mm -hmm. and disclosures because there's no way mine's that thick because yeah, you know, my, my credit report should be name, address, and a couple of student loans. <laughs> yeah. right. half a sheet of paper. Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. You know, you pack it. Yeah, you're like, what's <laughs> this book for? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, so I went into my apartment, and I sat on the arm of the couch, and I opened the envelope and realized very quickly that credit reports are not difficult to read. They don't come with a lot of instructions and disclosures. But rather, mine was 10 pages long with fraudulent credit card entries and associated collection agency entries that dated all the way back to the time that my parents' identities were sold in 1993. Oh, wow. And at this point, it was 2001. So there's eight years of damage at this point. Wow. What? My credit score was 380 at that time. What? Whoa. What? I'm, wow. Yeah, I... I mean, I brought you on, so I know, you know, generally what this story is, but yeah. I still have chills. I'm still shook. I cannot deal. I cannot imagine what went through your head at that moment. Well, at that moment, I knew that the person responsible for my parents' identity theft was also likely responsible for mine just because of the timelines. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, what did I do to deserve this? Because it's one thing mm -hmm. for someone to be angry at you know, an adult or, you know, a, a married couple and, and, you know, do, do something like this to them, but to, to do it to their child, that, that, that takes it to a next level. It really, so, you know, yeah. what, who's so angry that they would do this, not only to my parents, but to me. Now, do you think it was personal? Like, or do you think it was like just somebody who bought credit cards and, or identity offline? Like the dark web. Back at that time, because the identity theft was so prolonged. Okay. And the identity 
thief seemed to be doing what they were doing so well. It seemed personal. It seemed like someone very close to us, <gasps> like it was a giant, giant game almost. Mm. Oh my God, I, I have chills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know this could happen to a person. Yeah. So, so what did you do? Like, did you... Did you then call and say, like, I didn't do I didn't buy any of these things? Like, how did you then move forward after you opened up that booklet of eight years of of fraudulent charges? Mm. So the first thing I did was I called my mom, who uh, worked in the financial services industry for most of her career. And Mm. she told me that, you know, not to take it personally, that this is what identity thieves do. They, They get your information. They establish accounts in your name. They use your identity for everything that they can. Once they can't use it anymore, like when your credit scores 380, like mine was, mm. they move on to somebody else. Mm. I then called my dad, whose reaction to all of this nearly broke the receiver. Um, you know, because he felt like I did. This is next level. When you know, it's it's one thing to do it to mom and dad. It's yeah. another thing to do it to me. Yeah. And then I started calling the original creditors. <gasps> okay. Mm. And the first original creditor I contacted, I won't say their name because, you know, I don't want them to sue me or something, but Mm. (laughs) the customer service representative said that the card that was open in my name couldn't be the result of identity theft because someone made two payments on the card before ceasing payments on it. And that identity thieves don't do that. Uh Now, remember, this is 2001. We now know that identity thieves will do that to make the account appear more legitimate. Yeah. Right, right. But back then, you know, that, that wasn't known. And so this customer service rep is very nicely telling me, hey, we don't believe you. The card is yours. Mm. You know, we're not removing it from your credit report. And that was more or less my experience in, in, in trying to uh, recover my identity and working with original creditors and collection agencies. Collection agencies don't care. They just They just want you to pay. Um, Mm. I did file a a report with the state police. Um, So I was in college at the time. I was two hours away from home. And I thought filing a report with the state police, they have jurisdiction over the whole state that my identity theft is connected to mom and dad's identity theft. Right. That's the agency to go with. And again, you know, I'm like 19 years old at this time. Um, You know, and at the time I am wanting something with lights, sirens, and a hail of gunfire if necessary. Like this is the police response I'm wanting at this point. It's ridiculous. You know, let's let's take care of this. And I walked into the Indiana State Police Post and a very nice officer took a report and it said something to the effect of unknown thief opened credit cards in victim's name. So you know, very brief to the point. He gave me a copy and said I would need to provide it to banks and original creditors and you know any other entity associated with my identity theft case and wish me the best of luck. Now I didn't know this at the time. I do now. That's actually a very good response for that time mm-hmm. from uh, law enforcement because identity theft spans jurisdictions so there's jurisdictional boundary issues in terms of investigation especially mm-hmm. back at that time mm-hmm. and you know really identity theft wasn't well understood and with law enforcement resources being often strained particularly in rural areas they just don't have the resources to really investigate 
identity theft when it's so common. So I guess my question is like, how did you end up, like fast forward, like how long was it until you realized who this person was Mm -hmm. that stole your identity and your family's identity? Yes, Mm -hmm. tell us us that part. So it came from within. Um, So it took me 20 years, a master's degree, where I focused my research on identity theft, mm. a PhD that focused on child identity theft, for me to figure out that the person responsible was someone I talked to on a daily basis. <gasps> no. Someone that I shared the insights mm. I was learning through my uh, graduate programs where I focused on identity theft. Axton, no. Wow. No. Yep. Not you yep. giving her the tea by accident. I know. I did. Oh. I, I, I empowered her to stay one step ahead of me for years. Wow. So she started when you were a child, stole your identity, watched you develop as a human, a person going into this, studying this. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I figured it out. So, you know. It was my mom. Um, figured it out 13 days after she passed away from leukemia. Mm. And what happened was, I mean, I'm sitting at home. And by this point, I'm an assistant professor at, an, at a university in Illinois. So I'm not too far from, from where I grew up. And you know, I'm, I'm sitting in Illinois and you know, catching up on work, you know, trying to deal with the fact that, that, that mom is gone mm-hmm. and adjusting oh to God. that. And my dad calls me, and this is like nine o'clock at night. And, and you know, I grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad saw his animals, and so he's out feeding the animals. And there's an outbuilding on the property that my mom at one time used, kind of an office, but there was also you know, storage in there and other things. And my dad was in that building, and he calls me, and he's just livid mm-hmm. at me for running a credit card over limit back in two thousand one. And I went. What are you talking about? I I didn't. What, what what you know like what's going on here? And he said, Don't lie to me. You have the credit or I have the credit card statement in my hand. And I said, wait a minute, what credit card statement is it? What what credit card company? And he told me, and I said, Well, Dad, that's one of the credit cards that was taken out in my name as part of the identity theft. What's mom doing with that? Oh, and because he found it in a file folder of, of moms and he said, well, I don't know, but it's in here in this file folder with, you know, your birth certificate. And that's mm. when my blood ran cold because I had my birth certificate, you know, the one that was handwritten and issued in the early 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's in this file? And so two weeks later, it was spring break at the university I taught at at that time. And so I drove back to Indiana and I told dad, anything that you find financial in that building or really anywhere else, just set it aside and I'll look at it when I get there. Don't mm-hmm. don't throw anything away. Mm-hmm. And the birth certificate was actually a certified copy that was issued on June 7th of 2000 by the county health department. Mm. And that credit card was actually a partnership between a... Uh, bank that is now defunct and my mom's employer at that time so my mom was it was an investment representative for a well-known um you know investment 
agency, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll call them that. And um, these uh, investment representatives for that firm would have offices and communities all across the nation. They still do, they're still uh -huh. in business. And at that time, there was a partnership arrangement between my mother's employer and this credit card company. And so likely what mom did at that time was go into work, fill out a credit card application in my name, stole my identity, likely got a commission from, from the credit card sign up. And then when they ran my credit report, they did the right thing most likely in that they saw that at that time, I was living in um, West Lafayette. So I went, I went to college at Purdue. And that wouldn't have matched the address that was on the credit card, most likely, because I would have received the credit card and I never did. Uh -huh. So likely the bank said, wait a minute, this is potential fraud, requested information to prove that I was who I said I was, even though it was mom trying to prove that, you know, she was me. And she went to the county health department and submitted a, a certified copy of my birth certificate. Um... And that's where that came from. Because on June 7th of 2000, I didn't live there. I was taking summer classes at Purdue. Oh, wow. Axton, I can't. This is too much. This is too much for me to handle. I need I need to process Axton. Yes. Wow. My goodness. Uh, your mother. Mommy dearest. Yeah. What the fuck? And you had no real inclination. Nor your dad. Nope. Nor your father. Mm. <gasps> I mean, it. it's such a far, like, cognitive stretch to be like... This is my mom mm -hmm. who's doing this mm -hmm. to our family and doing it to to me. Yeah. And you're, you know, she's generally trying to guide you through the process of mm -hmm. getting out of this scenario, quote unquote, guide you through the process of trying right. to get out of this scenario. And she works fi for financial services yeah. in the financial industry. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. This is this is wild. So, OK, so thank you for sharing um, for any of us who have not had a chance to read your lovely book, please go pick it up. We will be linking it in the descriptions of this episode. Um, but before we keep going, uh, let's jump into some questions about just identity theft as a whole and like what it is. And let's just start diving into the real like definition of it. Yeah. What is familial identity theft? So familial identity theft occurs when a family member steals the personal identifying information of another family member, such as name, social security number, date of birth, hint, your mom knows all that. Mm -hmm. um, and they use that to obtain some sort of personal benefits, whether it be credits, whether it be government benefits, medical benefits, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, it's to obtain something of value that they can't otherwise obtain using their own identity. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are other types of identity theft? Like there's familial, but then like what other types exist and what should we be looking out for, I guess? Sure. So when most people think of identity theft, they think of what is known as financial identity theft, mm -hmm. where someone gets your personal information and they establish a new credit card in your name, or they intercept your login credentials as part of a data breach, and they log into your online banking with your checking and savings account, and they find ways to drain it. That's the most common form of identity theft, but familial identity theft is often used to commit financial identity theft. Mm. Um, 
medical identity theft, for lack of a better way to say it, is a very popular form of identity theft. And that's where someone most often steals the um, health insurance information of another individual to use to obtain medical benefits. I had a research participant for my dissertation, and this has been 10 years ago. Um, that research participant had her identity stolen as part of a theft. So her birth certificate and social security card and, and other documents were stolen. So the physical documents were stolen. They were sold on the black market. Another individual obtained them in a different state and then had a baby under that individual's identity. Oh, wow. my God. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I'm like, I had a baby. My name is Freddie Ransom. This is my child. But, but I'm then, not even Freddie. And I'm having a baby. But then in the eyes of the government, do you... Does Freddie now have a dependent? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they had a baby. Yeah. Under your name. What? It gets so complicated oh so quickly. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's usually convoluted. Um, so the, you know, Freddie wouldn't be considered to have a dependent unless there was a social security number issued for that child mm. using Freddie's identity, which in these cases often doesn't happen. Um, but oh. usually how this is discovered is that the child is born to an addicted mother mm. and social services is involved and they track down the mother, but it's really the identity theft victim that they track down and the oh, identity no. theft victim is oh. like, what baby? I never had a baby. <laughs> and Wow. It, it not only becomes a medical identity theft mess, there's also criminal charges that also need to be cleared, mm-hmm. and social services investigations that need to be addressed. So it's, it can be a hot mess on multiple levels. Oh, okay. Um, can you walk us through the work of a fraudster? Like, They've officially secured your information, and then the clock is ticking before the victim or the bank realizes. What do they do first? How do they move, strike first, and why, in your opinion? So I'll just give the example of my husband who last month had his credit card number stolen. So mm-hmm. Whoa, whoa, this keeps, ha- what? Axton, Axton. It's too much. Can I hug you both? It's oh my too God. much. Literally, how over it are you? Oh, well, you know, my husband deal, dealt with this much better than I did because I, I had like the whole traumatic emotional response right. because of my personal experience. Yes, of course. I'm happy but it he, for you right now. <laughs> yes. No, he didn't. He really, he really didn't. It was, okay, the, you know, my credit card company notified me. He sat down with them over the phone, went through the fraudulent charges, and I'm standing over his shoulder, you know, looking at all the charges, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like in fight mode. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's very calm. They, they, um, you know, take off the fraudulent charges. He's not held accountable for those, mm-hmm. and then they sent him a new credit card, and you, you know, they, they overnighted it, and it was here the next day, and you know, life is good. And of course, my, my husband's approach is, you know, that, that that's just, you know, part of doing business, you know, in the, in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, I don't pa- think it necessarily pa- has to be that way. Pause, yeah. pause there. I want to unpack that thinking. He thinks it's the way the the uh, the way of doing business in 2021 that we're just going to have to deal with fraudsters and and identity theft. Like, mm-hmm. what, what? But 
I was so set on living my life with not. <laughs> well, that's Wait. why the point is it's so widespread that yeah. you, know, you, 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 know, you can't get completely emotional every time this happens because it's mm-hmm. happened to him on multiple occasions. Right, right. More than it has me. But there are people mm-hmm. in this world who never have this happen to them. Uh, uh, oh, my God. That's so unfair. Where does the money come from that pays for these fraud protection programs? How are how are because, you know, it, that it's ha- the same thing that happened to your husband has happened to me on a couple occasions. And I did the same thing called the bank. They take the charges off and I get a new card. And it's kind of end of story. Where where is that money coming from? How? how what? <laughs> right. So, so you know, your credit card company is not being nice when yeah. they do that. They're you know they're, they're not being altruistic and like oh we're, you know we're sorry you're a fraud victim you don't have to pay any of those charges because mm-hmm. they're in business to make money. Mm-hmm. So where are they making that up? And higher fees mm-hmm. and interest so, rates. Yeah. Uh... So higher interest rates, higher monthly fees, whatever they can get it. The, the the people who are paying their bills and who are not committing identity theft, they're the ones paying these costs ultimately. Mm-hmm. Oh my mm-hmm. god, that's so annoying. I'm actually really annoyed. <laughs> this makes me want to be more chaotic neutral. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to like spend it all. Spend it yeah, all. Like, <laughs> our interest rates are rising just in case. Mm-hmm. It's almost it's like too. Um, to basically like fix whatever situation these fraudsters and identity thieves decide to do that day. Like we're basically being proactive and paying yeah. for getting we're, our money we're back. We're treating the symptom, not the cause. Yeah. Very Western medicine of yeah. us. How, oh. <laughs> I have a question, Axton. Sure. In regards to like criminal charges and just how the government views fraudsters, what is that like? Is like how often are these people getting prosecuted or getting any sort of like punishment for doing this to people? So it's actually very low. Um, and I'll speak from cases of familial identity theft. Mm-hmm. The majority of them are not reported mm. because victims don't want to cause more conflict within the family mm-hmm. or maybe they're somehow dependent on the offender so maybe mm. you know they're if it's a child maybe they're fi- still financially dependent on the parent if it's an older adult you know we think of elder financial exploitation if it's an adult child who's stolen their elderly parents identity they may be dependent on them for caregiving or mm. you know they may have physical and cognitive limitations to the point where they really can't file um, you know, a report without some assistance. Mm-hmm. So these cases are often unreported. Of those that are reported, um, you know, law enforcement just may not have the resources to fully investigate them. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes they, they, you know, they, they don't reach the court docket, which is unfortunate. And identity thieves know this. They know that the payoff is far greater than the risk mm-hmm. and so that's why they keep doing it yeah because mm-hmm. like in the case of a credit card is it the credit card company kind of like pays the fraudulent charges are, are they ever filing a police report or or not really i would imagine not right no actually though more often than not they'll just write off the fraud charges and mm. then mm. pass off the higher costs to us yeah mm. yeah well 
I got a headache. It's all so screwy. Yeah, that sucks. But we're going to get into some red flags and hot tips on how to best avoid being a victim of fraud with Axton after the break. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Money Honeys are back with some fraud talk with our special guest, Axton Betts Hamilton. So, Axton, you are... A an unfortunate and a learned expert mm-hmm. in this field. What are some ways to protect yourself from identity theft? What are some red flags that we can be looking out for? Sure. So, you know, familial identity theft is my specialty. So I'm going to go there first. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with familial identity theft, one of the things that I've learned through my research studies is that this often occurs with other forms of abuse within the family. So there mm. might be multiple forms of abuse that the offender is committing uh, towards the victim. Um, that can include isolation. So, you know, isolation can be a mechanism of abuse to sure. hide it, to, you know, to continue it. So, if, you know, if you're being isolated from, from friends and family, that can be an, a, an indication that there might be some identity theft going on. Um, Another thing that commonly happens in families where identity theft is occurring between family members is that there's not open communication about family finances. Mm. So if your significant other or you know your spouse, your your parent, whoever it might be is not sharing financial information with you such as, you know, the you know your tax returns. Mm-hmm. or your bank account balance, and you're not having these open, frank discussions with one another, mm-hmm. that's a big red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if it doesn't wind up being an identity theft situation, it's just a big red flag for relationships yeah. mm-hmm. to have that much secrecy and possible shame, possible whatever. Mm-hmm like within their finances. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so say you do become a victim of identity theft or fraud. Okay, so I guess let's try not to panic. What are some initial steps victims can take to recover what's been stolen from from them, whether that's their identity, money, both? Um, and I want to talk about how you recovered first from <laughs> all of those years of of things being stolen from you, identity, money, et cetera. Because you, your dad had college tuition money for you, correct? And you ended up having to take out loans. Yeah, so so that is an interesting story. Yeah, so, so let's dive there for a minute because that, that was a huge betrayal. So after my mom passed away and we found out that she had stolen, you know, my identity, dad's identity, I should clarify that hers was never stolen. Uh- we also found that she had stolen my grandfather's identity, so her father-in-law. So not her dad, but father-in-law, because he lived in the house with us for a while. So anybody who lived in the house was a victim. Um, wow. Interestingly, her clients were not victims, because I reached out to the ones that I, I knew of and could remember, and 
nobody had a problem. You know, there there were no signs of identity theft among her clients. So, um. so it was it was within the household. Um, so going back to the uh, the uh, tuition money, Dad and I were talking and about just financial things, and and Dad said, "Well, we paid for your tuition." Or no, no, I think his exact words were, "We paid for your college." And I'm like, "No, you didn't." And then he said, yes, we did. And I said, no, you didn't. And then <laughs> the light bulb went off. And I'm like, oh, crap. So what was happening? So I asked, I said, how much money were you giving mom each semester? And he told me, and it would have been enough to cover housing and tuition for my undergraduate. <laughs> mom was giving me the tuition money and saying they couldn't afford my housing. <laughs> I have no idea what happened to that money. That's with, I mean, that's about $50,000. Did you see her purchasing things throughout your life? Did you see her like balling out? Like, was she always shopping online or something like that? Where did all this money go? Well, that's a really good question because most of it disappeared within the last two years of her life. Oh. Um, Mm. And, you know, when I was little, she after my after my grandpa passed away which was also in 1993 when the identity theft started mm. she started shopping on the home shopping network mm. um and qvc Mm-mm. and you know, buying costume ju- most of the costume jewelry is what i remember coming in the mail and you know after that i really didn't see much in terms of her spending on herself particularly as, as she got older and when she passed away, she drove a 1999 Lincoln Town Car that had a salvage title. So she, mm. you know, it wasn't like she had a brand new car. It wasn't like she was buying diamonds, at least, you know, not that I saw, not that I ever found. Mm-hmm. Um, there are indications that she may have had a second life. Oh. I do know that that she did have at least one affair that was going on even while she had cancer. Mm. Um, and that I was able to confirm that. Wow. Okay, so any money that was taken from your family wasn't ever really recovered, correct? Correct. How did you get your 380 credit score back to a good place? Like, how long did that take? Oh, that took until 2009. So my identity was stolen in 1993. Oh. The, the Well, all of the negative account information didn't clear until 2009. Mm. And how I started this process was it was kind of two-pronged. So I started disputing fraudulent accounts with original creditors and with collection agencies because the original creditors don't often talk to the collection agencies about these things. See, even if it's the same account, you got to dispute in multiple places. So what would happen sometimes is that the credit reporting agency would contact the original creditor. And if the original creditor say was out of business, like let's use bank one for an example, bank one has been swallowed up by Chase, you know, a long time mm. ago, but they, you know, they contact bank one. Oh, there's no one to respond because they're defunct now. Well, there's no one to verify the debt. So it comes off my credit report. Mm. Same with some of these collection agencies. Some of these collection agencies were long out of business. So if there was no one there to verify the debt, Mm. Then it was pulled from my credit report. Okay. Now, some of these entities quote, and I'm going to do this air quotes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
verified the debt by simply matching the name and social security number. Oh my God. Mm. Didn't matter the age. So, oh, debt is verified. It's your name. It's your social security number. It's your debt. It's staying on your credit report. Mm. So those accounts had to age off, which is why some of them hung on until 2009. Mm. Um, But at the same time, so I knew going through this process, it would be a long process. And I knew that once my credit report eventually cleared, I would be back at square zero sure. with no credit. Yeah. Mm. Right. Which would still make it difficult to obtain credit. So I leveraged the fact that I had some credit, even though it was bad credit, uh-huh. to start applying for credit and establishing good credit in my name as I'm working to get the bad credit off. So that's mm-hmm. the two-prong approach. The disputing fraudulent accounts, but opening accounts in my name and using them wisely. Is that the first step? Like if you are suspect that your identity has been stolen or that there's been some fraud, like what's the very first step that someone should take? Is it calling? Is it? So actually things have changed a little bit. So, yeah. you, know, you know, back in 05, we didn't have credit freeze laws. Mm-hmm. Now we do. So if you are a victim of identity theft, one thing that you can do, and um, I believe um, in, well, most if not all states at this point, um, there are credit freeze laws for children as well. So mm. you can freeze your credit, you can freeze your child's credit. What that does is that it stops new accounts from being created in your name. Mm. Okay. Now, it doesn't stop existing account fraud. It doesn't stop someone from obtaining you know, your credit card number and going on a shopping spree. But it keeps new accounts from being established in your name. So there's there's less damage happening with your credit report. You've kind of put a lid on it. You know, you, you've encapsulated that so you can deal with, with the damage that's already there. Mm-hmm. And then you want to get your credit report. You can go into annualcreditreport.com and do this for free. Anybody, anybody can access that site. And you can look at... Uh, each of your three credit reports. So there, there are three credit bureaus, mm-hmm. Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. Yep. You can look at each one of your credit reports for free through annualcreditreport.com once a year. But since the pandemic happened through 2022, through the end of 2022, you can look at each of those reports weekly. Mm. And then you can dispute fraudulent information in your credit report within annualcreditreport.com so it's it's kind of a you know one-stop shop for uh you know dealing with these issues if you are a identity theft victim it is important to look at all three credit reports because creditors are under no obligation to report to all three Mm. credit bureaus so for instance you might have a fraudulent account that shows up on your transunion report that doesn't show up on your Experian report. So yeah. if you just look at Experian, right. you're going you're gonna to miss stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you got to look at all three credit re- reports. Yeah, mm. when I, um, I actually had some fraud happen a few weeks ago to me that had been happening for a long time. I think my information ended up maybe on the dark web or something like oh, that. No. But yeah, I ended up having to freeze my account at all three credit houses but i think that you can set alerts as well if you set alerts on one then that happens for the rest the other two Mm -hmm. so you don't have to call around to get alerts at all three you can just do it at one and they'll Mm. send you alerts from the other two houses as well but you do have to call each one to freeze your credit Mm -hmm. at each house so Mm. there's definitely some steps you have to take but it actually 
it wasn't super time consuming. Like I actually was able to get it done rather quickly. So mm. that was a relief at the time for sure. Um, but then, you know, recovering all that stolen money definitely took more time. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, Axton, your story is. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. I, mm-hmm. I think that, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm so, I think we're all just really sorry that you had to deal with this. I mean, this has, I think, you know, taken up a lot of time in your life, but I am happy that you're able to, you know, advise and tell us your story so that hopefully other people can be on alert as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just amazed and in awe that you were able to kind of recycle this very traumatic, traumatic thing that happened to you into education mm-hmm. and, being there for other people. So, mm-hmm. wow, thank you so much for sharing your, yourself and sharing your time and your knowledge with us today. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Axton. Thank you, Axton. Have a good one. Thank oh, you. Also, Axton, where can people find you? Do you have like an Instagram? Do you have a Twitter? Do you want to be found after want- what happened yeah. to you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have a professional Facebook page. So it's Dr. Axton Betts Hamilton. So all smushed together, no spaces. And then I have a Twitter account as well that has morphed into more of a professional page. So that is Axton7. I'm following you now. <laughs> Thank you, Axton. Thank you so much, Thank Axton. You. Yes, you're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Ladies. Did today's episode freak you out a little or do you feel more prepared for the scammers and fraudsters? Are you somewhere in the middle? How are we feeling? I'm shaking. Yeah. I'm shaking. I cannot believe that that this has happened to this sweet, wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it was by somebody she knows, her mother. Um, and then I can't believe that it follows her, like with her husband. You know? I know. <laughs> it's just like she can't catch a break. It's insane because... I think what struck me the most and what well, one of the things that struck me the most was the fact that like because she had been a victim of this and believed her family had been a victim of this, she threw herself into this line of work, right. would share the learnings with her mother that her oh. mother then continued to use against her. Yeah, like that, that is, is wild. I just don't even I don't know what I would do. And she's just such a delightful woman who's come out on the other side stronger. But yeah. I'm just like. She spent so many years dealing with this. I know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly, I learned a lot about just like familial identity theft because I'd never even heard that term before. Right. And when she was talking about like medical identity theft and insurance theft and all that stuff, like I, I truly had never considered that. And so I feel like I'm definitely better prepared to even know that that's stuff that I should be kind of looking at and and tracking not I don't want to feel like paranoid about it mm-hmm. but just having the knowledge in general I didn't even know anything so I learned a lot absolutely do I feel more prepared to deal with fraudsters and scammers no yeah <laughs> because they're coming out of the woodwork yeah. Yeah. under the rug under the table there may be one in this building right now yeah. oh and part of it too though is like the economy and capitalism sure anyway right Mm -hmm. it's like people are doing this yes there's many who do it for greed but then also some people are just desperate and don't Mm -hmm. have the money to Mm -hmm. pay for what they need to so they go to any lengths so i do try to also think about like society isn't set up for people to succeed especially Mm -hmm. poor people Mm -hmm. so people do kind of just 
get in where they fit in where they can and at the expense of others, which mm-hmm. sucks, but it's well, just a bigger, a larger issue. I also wonder if a lot of these people are international because they see America as this, like all Americans are rich or all Americans have wealth mm-hmm. True. Um, comparatively to other countries. So it probably doesn't strike them as much that they're doing something wrong mm-hmm. because they think that, you know, we have it. So we have fine. it. And they're, you know what, to a certain extent, they're not wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also wonder just the kind of like, like addiction component of it. So if people are addicted to shopping or just spending Mm -hmm. and then because your addiction can feed all types of bad behaviors regardless of what the addiction is. And so this is also something that you can be doing to like feed your addiction. Yeah, the high of getting away with it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. too. Next week will be a little bit of a lighter episode. We're going to be chatting about investing, um, but it's good to know how to protect ourselves, protect our identity, protect our monies so that we can invest and be successful with our riches and wealth that we will soon have. We're speaking it into existence. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week. Bye. Bye. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.